And that's kind of, I think, the culture. Culture is about getting the job done, taking care of our own mental health too. And that's important. It's getting that impact and keeping the passion strong. Welcome everyone to the Ask a CEO Show. Ask a CEO interviews bring us inside the corner office and C-suite for discussions with top executives about their journey to leadership and the reality of running their companies today. Our host, Greg Dimetrio, is the CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, an award-winning integrated marketing company. He is also the founder of gregscorneroffice.com, the home of the Ask a CEO interviews. Greg has been in the business for over 30 years. He is a resource to the media, an invited columnist and speaker on marketing and business topics. Over the years, Greg has talked to hundreds of CEOs and executives about what it took to make it to the corner office and what it is really like being the leader of their companies. And now he brings those conversations to you. Here's Greg now. Welcome to another Ask a CEO show. I'm Greg Demetrio, your host. My day job is CEO of Lorraine Gregory Communications, which is an integrated marketing and advertising agency here in New York. But my real passion is talking to CEOs about their journey to the corner office and what it's like running their companies today. Today, our guest is Robert Gebbia, and he is a high-impact national executive in the nonprofit space. He's the president and CEO of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention, which is the leading suicide prevention organization in the United States. He's made a significant difference in the lives of millions. He's grown the top-line revenue of this important nonprofit over 5,500%, from $700,000 to $39 million annually. He developed more than 70 chapters across the country and has set a goal of reducing suicides by 20% by 2025 through innovation grants, research, public awareness, and education. He's a founding member of the National Council of Suicide Prevention and is the chair of the board of directors of the National Health Council. Mr. Gebbia came to AFSP after his tenure at United Way and his position as public health advisor for the city of New York. Welcome to Ask Your CEO, Robert Gebbia the president and CEO of the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. So the show, Robert, is about uh, your journey pretty much to the corner office and what it's like running such a large organization today. But before we get started, perhaps you tell the audience a little bit about your backstory, your personal bio, how you wound up arriving at the, at the AFSP. Yeah, well, well, great. Thank you, Greg, for having me. And um, it's it's been a really a great journey for me. You know, you make decisions about your career along the way. And coming to AFSP was one of those decisions I look back now and say that was a great move. And I'll tell you why. Um, I had worked for many years uh, for other nonprofits. I had a great career uh, with the uh, United Way where I got great training. I worked a lot in giving out grants. I worked a lot in evaluation of, um, you know, evaluation studies, how we were using the funds. And then as I moved up in the United Way, I got the opportunity to become more strategic, got involved in strategic planning and fundraising. And so I had great, a great kind of range of skills that I got by working for United Way, but it was time to go. You know, you reach a point and you say, what else is there for me uh, mid-career? And I came upon this and it was a startup and it was a risk because it was 10 years old, but it was 
under a million dollars. It was very tiny. Oh, and my goodness. No reach. Oh, I empathize with you. I work with a lot of nonprofits and how many of them are stuck at that level? Oh, my God. Yeah. It's amazing. But I thought I could bring something. You know, I thought I could bring something and maybe spend a few years and help them, um, you know, apply the skills I had. It seemed to be a good fit and probably move on. But I hit it right. You know, it was one of those things. I'm so passionate about this cause. And I just... I really felt like um, this is a place I can make a difference. And, and that's how I got here. Wow. Okay. They, they're very fortunate to have you and, be, and have you move the organization the way you have. So maybe you could tell us about the history of the organization yeah. and how it was founded, the mission and the timeline of the really impressive growth. I mean, it's really an impressive story. So maybe you could tell us, give us that backstory. Yeah, sure. So it was started by some families in New York that had lost loved ones to suicide. This is back in the in the late 1980s. And um, they teamed up with some researchers out of Columbia University in New York um, who felt there wasn't enough investment in the science, the research and learning how to prevent suicide. And they, they teamed up and they raised a little bit of money and they started the foundation. And its initial um, mission was to fund suicide research. And that was a, you know, more limited. It was a small New York-based foundation funding a few research studies a year. And it kind of stayed that way for about 10 years. And then uh, when they were looking for their first full-time, at that point, executive director, you know, that's when I found them. And they wanted to move it in new directions. And they wanted to broaden the mission, obviously make it more sustainable, and, uh, and, and become a more nationwide suicide prevention organization. And that's what enticed me. But, you know, if not for those original pioneers, those families, you think about the late 1980s, people weren't talking about this. And it was very hard for families to, to say that they lost a loved one. Yeah. And today it's, it's, thank goodness, a lot better. But in those days, those were real brave people. And there was not a lot of help for people who were going through no. that type of suffering, the, the ones that were left behind. And it, it seems like today there's such an epidemic of suicides across all segments of the population, but especially in the military veterans and the law enforcement officers. And, you know, my history is I'm a retired detective and, and I suffered from PTSD. And thank you, God, I never went down that rabbit hole of having suicide ideation, but I can mm -hmm. see how easily it happens. So maybe yeah. you could talk to that a little bit. Yeah, maybe sure. you can help yeah. us understand these tragedies. You know, you think about veterans and, and, you know, how their service to the country and and law enforcement and, and those that, you know, are there to protect us. Right. But it's a culture often military as well as law enforcement um, and other professions, too, that often make it very hard to ask for help. You know, we have to tough it up. And, you know, today out of, you know, one out of every five suicides in the U.S. is among a veteran. And law enforcement has high rates of suicide. Other male-dominated industries as well, you know, construction has high rates of suicide. Right. Physicians have a high rate of suicide. But, you know, you look at the common denominator, and it's very hard in certain kinds of professions to say, I need help. And we're trying to change that culture and say, it's okay. And a lot of our, our leaders in law enforcement and military and so on are really trying to change the culture to say, the brave thing to do is to ask for help. And, you know, if we could get people help, we could save their lives. It's okay to not be okay, right? Exactly so, right, yes. Um, 
you know, I've taken a, a bit of that as my crusade, if you will, my little part to help advance the the conversation around PTSD and suicide. And uh, yeah. one of the best things that could happen to me was that I met Larry Sprung, one of your board members. And uh, yes, we've struck it up and, and uh, he and I are both in the same vein in terms of what needs to be done and how we can help. So yeah, things are changing, though, in those in the military and veteran community. Absolutely. And we actually have a great program that we do with the VA and we make it available to law enforcement where they can reach out anonymously, confidentially and get help. And it doesn't end up, you know, affecting their careers and their records. And, and it's peer to peer help, which is important. So we there are programs we offer some and many others do too yeah. that are reaching out to, well, the veterans to, go, to go from a warrior mentality or even, a, you know, and that crosses both veins, veterans and military and law enforcement. You have yeah. that warrior mentality that you're invincible. And when you come yeah. up and you feel that you're broken, where do you go with that? It's so hard to, yeah, to very make hard. that first move that says, Hey, guess what? Somebody got to help me here. Cause I'm in mm -hmm. trouble. So what you guys yeah. are doing is amazing stuff. This programs you have out there, the, the focus that you have. So now when you first took the, the, the seat, the corner office in, in the association and in the, in the foundation, what were your initial initiatives? Cause you came into this 10 year startup mentality type yeah. nonprofit. Mm -hmm. what, were your, what were your initial priorities when That's you sat down? I actually asked that question, uh, and if anyone's ever being interviewed for a new position, that's a great question to ask. What do you want, you know, in my tenure? What do you want to see happen? And, and the answer was really clear, which was very, very helpful to me. Make this sustainable. It was 70% funded when I arrived by pharmaceutical grants. It was the heyday of, you know, of, of medications for depression. There was a lot of money in the pharma industry. And that helped get the foundation started, but that wasn't sustainable. And you couldn't grow with that. That was limited, you know? So um, the first thing was sustainability. The second thing, and, it, and they're related, was to really become much better known and broader, you know, make, make this an organization that people know. We used to hear it all the time. You know, we're not the, the American Cancer Society. Everybody knows that, you know, or Heart Association. We wanna be known. And how do you do that, you know? It's, it's easy to say you want to be sustainable. It's easy to say you want to be better known. And they, and they help each other because the better known you are, the more people you reach, the more potential donors you have, the better you can you know, build the revenue. So we, it took us a while, but we had some strategies. Walks were an enormous game changer for us. Doing those walk events drew people to us. Many of those people became ongoing supporters and volunteers. Um, it started to build a name recognition and a brand. Um, and I think we hit it right because the issue was starting to become more in the public you know, discussion. People were more interested in talking about their mental health. Right. People who were affected were speaking out in larger numbers. So I think timing helps, yeah. to be honest. Um, but we had some good strategies as well for, for becoming sustainable and really generating the income we needed to be able to invest in the in the programming that we do. So now when you first took over, was it more of a local or regional uh, type of nonprofit? Because you've overseen yeah. mm -hmm. amazing growth and expansion. You went to what, 70 chapters now? Yes. So yep. national growth is a heavy lift. Maybe you could tell us how that was accomplished so that you became the preeminent national organization. 
Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I remember a conversation with my board and we had a couple of fledgling chapters. They would kind of come and go, you know, they didn't have any resources, they didn't have any staff, you know, they just, they were more like support groups than, than chapters. And I remember going to the board and saying, either we should forget about that and just be a New York based organization, you know, a regional organization. Mm -hmm. But if we're serious about being a national organization, we need to invest in creating a presence all around the country and chapters are the way to go. And we got good advice from some leading nonprofits that had chapters who were very helpful to us. And, and that's the other thing. How do you get there? You know what you want to do. How do you get there? Again, the walks helped us organize chapters. The first step was to go into a community and try to get volunteers to work with us in creating a walk. From that walk, we found people who said, I want to do something more. And they became you know, kind of the organizing group for a chapter in that community. And then you sustain that and you give them the support and the staffing. But chapters really made us nationwide in, in a way we weren't before. And in that, you have to deliver programs locally or else there's no value, right? Why would you support something in your community if you didn't see the value of it? Like a franchise organization, you have the model, but you need to yes, the tools. Right. right. So that's kind of how that got started. And once it caught on, People said, well, I, I've been on your website. I see uh, there's no chapter in Cincinnati, you know. <laughs> okay, would you like to be involved in helping to create one, you know? And so that's how it really took off. Excellent. And I, we had tremendous support from some really great volunteers, people who personally had a loss, who had someone in their family who struggled. Maybe they struggled and now are well and wanted mm -hmm. to do something. And when you have that kind of passion, if you could channel it with a good business plan, and get them involved in, in buying into that, boy, that's a powerful combination. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, all right, so you're leading this nonprofit in the world, and it calls for vision and execution, all right? So yeah. these things, mm -hmm. you just don't stumble across them. They don't happen on whimsically, right? How are you able to increase that top-line revenue? Now, if I'm correct, it's 5,500% mm -hmm. From seven hundred thousand yeah. dollars to thirty-nine million annually. Yeah. How and that's a huge, huge, huge increase. Yeah, and and it's it's you know when we were just starting, you know, when I arrived, we were as I said seventy percent pharmaceutical funded. Now we're about one or two percent pharmaceutical funded. You know, we get a couple of grants. The idea was to go to the public, you know, and. You know, with online giving and, and all of the, you know, ways to, to give now, just expanding, you know, social media campaigns, all kinds of things, we were able to build a really strong base of donors. We have over a million donors yeah. and many of them giving us $25, sponsoring a walker, let's say, you know. We also have high-end donors. We have people who give us major gifts. So we run the gamut, but it's all individuals. And increasingly in the last five years, more foundations and, and corporate gifts outside of the farmer industry, you know, mm. corporations, because you know what? They have employees who struggle. They have often lose employees to suicide. And so we tapped into what I believe was a, a real interest in trying to address this public health problem. And, and the individuals stepped it up and that's a sustainable model. Sure. I mean, even if the economy does drop a little, you know, it's not something that we're so reliant on one or two sources. It's, I don't it's think that's so, something you, so want broad. Turn a, you don't want. You don't want to turn a blind eye to such an important cause for such an important epidemic yes. that's running across the country. So I think you have sustainability in terms of maintaining yeah. the donor base 
Yes, you know? totally. And as long as we as long as we show them value, and I'm a stickler on that, you know, and I talk to my team all the time. Never take a donor for granted. Never take contributions for granted. I don't care how big they are, how small they are. You know, we have to show what we're doing. We have to keep our overhead costs down. Right. We have to really be, you know, effective in what we do and, and communicate that so they feel, okay, I have confidence in this organization. My, my the advice, brand and our uh, reputation. Yeah, absolutely. My advice to nonprofits always has been you have to run it like a business. It, absolutely. May, it may be run out of your heart, but you've got to run it out of your head. Absolutely. If you got to do all the things that a business would have to do. So like any other business, revenue dictates what can and cannot be undertaken. Mm -hmm. How do you make those determinations? Well, I have a great board. That's first thing. And I think any nonprofit for those listening who may be, you know, from the nonprofit world, you know, never shy away from recruiting, you know, individuals who, who one care about your issue and not just there for, you know, just namesake, um, but two, who have real savvy business backgrounds, you know, draw upon that, use that. And I think that's really helped me strategically enormously. And also putting a strong leadership team, staff team together. Mm -hmm. You know, those are the two really important things from the CEO's perspective um, that make it work because, you know, you want to have good strategies and you want to implement them you know, as well. So you need both. You need both the board and you need both the senior team. Yeah, a good idea is just an idea until you execute it. Right? Absolutely. And a lot of things, you know, great ideas that fall flat don't happen. Yeah. And so so you, you mentioned a, a little bit ago about your volunteers. So mm -hmm. now the way I understand it, you have a rather large network of volunteers. So how do you utilize them and how do you keep them in the fold, so to speak? That's a great, great question. And we have somewhere on, you know, in terms of really ongoing volunteers around the country through our chapters, about 10,000 volunteers. And they're in key roles. Uh, you know, they may be on committees, walk committees, program committees. They may help peer to peer, you know, in terms of the programming um, and they raise money for us. The main thing is to keep them, keep in touch with them, keep them informed um, and don't forget to recognize them. You know, let them know you value them and, um, and give them meaningful roles uh, and then support them. You know, I always think about that. You know, we should never take them for granted. They don't have to do this. They're not being paid to do this. They're doing this because they're passionate right. and they care. And never forget that. And I think if you can do that, obviously recognize them, obviously um, you know, help them in the things you want them to do, give them the support. Um, but I think that's the secret. Uh, you know, if you take them for granted and you don't really, you know, appreciate them or show them what you're doing um, to meet the mission that they care so much about, it's not going to work. It'll work. They'll go come, away. They'll yeah, find they, some other they, place to get involved. Exactly. They're going to come and go. Their donation to you is their time and their energy. So you have to treat them just like a donor. Absolutely. In my mind. So, all right. And also, you know, we, we're aggressive about our mission. So, you know, we set a bold goal to try to reduce the suicide rate 20% uh, by 2025. That's an ambitious goal. It was going up for two decades. And now in 2019, we saw the first drop, 2% drop in, in 20 years. Wow. And the preliminary data for 2020, even though we're in a pandemic, which has real challenges, 
to people's mental health. We, we are seeing um, a 5% drop. It's preliminary uh, and it's not everywhere, but in terms of uh, nationwide populations. So we show the donors and the people involved with us that we're serious about this mission and we're going to be aggressive in carrying it out. That's a big motivator to stay involved. It sure is. We'll touch on a little bit on the uh, impact of COVID after the commercial break. And they're telling me I have to take it now so the sponsors can have their peace. So we're going to go to a commercial break and we'll be right back. Creating a comprehensive, effective marketing plan can be complex and difficult, but it doesn't have to be. At Lorraine Gregory Communications, we make it easy. Experience matters. Hello, my name is Tom Hunt, the founder of Fame. Now, Fame loves the Ask a CEO podcast. We've actually been working with Greg and Peter behind the scenes for the past year, over a year, I think, to help build and grow the show. And so if you have a business, specifically a B2B business, and you're looking to raise awareness with people in your field, to build relationships with people in your industry, then we would love to talk. We have this almost completely done for you service where we'll set up and grow a podcast that ideally will become profitable uh, within the first six months to a year. So if that's something that interests you, you can just go to fame.so. Uh, check out our case studies etc uh, we would love to talk and of course i do want to say thank you to greg and peter for building such an awesome podcast with ask a ceo all right and we're back with robert Gebby, the american foundation for the prevention of suicide ceo and president so before the break we just barely touched on the covid uh, impact in the world in the world in the suicide numbers now my fear was that the first line medical professionals who were entrenched in the hospitals working ungodly hours in such close proximity to a serious, serious illness. I figured, I thought that we were going to see a spike in PTSD type uh, problems and potentially increase in suicide. Has that been realized, do you think? It, there's certainly been instances of and there was a very high profile, um, you know, suicide of a, a physician here in New York, you know, right in the, in the early days of the pandemic. Um, but we haven't seen a universal kind of jump. And, and even looking at uh, data in other countries where they have better data collection systems, they get more real-time data. There hasn't been a spike in suicide yet. But we are concerned about the coming years because there's a few things we know these things don't always show up immediately, right? It takes time. People become more depressed. They may have lost their jobs. They may have, you know, all things, bad things that happen sometimes take time before people spiral uh, and get to the point where they may be suicidal. On the other hand, we've seen more attention to getting help. The messages in our media and social media, traditional media, um, entertainment, everything has been geared to, if you're struggling right now, reach out and get help. If we invest in the prevention now, we might not see a spike in the years to come, but we are cautious about it. We're yeah. concerned about it. I, so I've, it's about I've, investing now in, the, in the, getting people the help they need. I've been using a hashtag was hashtag just one, because if we each devote ourselves to save just one person from suicide, we'll have a huge impact. So yes. every, my tagline is just one. And it's a great uh, one. Yeah. 
I, I got a couple of uh, attaboys with it, and it was just, I don't know how I came up with it, whatever. It, it's part of it. it. Everybody has to have a piece in the problem to come up with the solution. Or have Absolutely. It. But, you know, we've never seen the dialogue about mental health so robust, you know, and workplaces are now focused on it in ways they hadn't been. Schools have been focused on it in ways they haven't been. And, yeah. and I think families are too. People are realizing our mental health is part of our health condition. We all have mental health. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's not. And, you know, what happens is that often people wouldn't seek help when it, they weren't feeling right. But that's changing. And I do think that we can keep those messages going after the pandemic is gone. We'll, we won't see a spike in the suicide rate. I hope. That's important. I, you know, I hope we have to work to that. Yeah, I hope you're absolutely correct that we do not see that spike that was, was troubling me uh, yeah. during the pandemic. So you're a national organization. And you've, we've discussed some of the ways that you seem to be having an impact, that the, the, the trend is flattening a bit, right? That we're watching for, for spikes and so forth and so on. So how do you use marketing and advertising to help advance your mm -hmm. cause and to raise funds? Are you guys using marketing and advertising to do that? Yeah, some. I mean, we don't do a lot of advertising per se, but we do a lot on social media. So, um, and that includes live programming, you know, on Instagram Live and Facebook Live and, and getting influencers on social media. I'm always amazed at these individuals that have millions of followers. <laughs> you say, how did they do that? You know, but a lot of them care about mental health and we've approached many of them and they really get the message out. So it's this kind of spreading of the message of, you know, hope, seeking help. Care, check in on people you care about, what to do, drive them to our website for more information. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we do a lot of that. We do some advertising on social media and also public relations. Well, I mean, we, we just did an analysis for our board. And, in the, you know, since the first of the year, we were in 1500. Um, these are these are just print media stories. And so, you know, between our national um, work, national media and our chapter work with their local media. So, you know, radio, print media still work, um, but also social media. And we have about a million followers now on social media between our chapters and the national office. So those are the ways to stay in front of the public, right? So one of the reasons for the Ask a CEO show is all about the CEO's personal branding and, it, and how it attaches yeah. to their organizations and their companies. So do you have a feel how your personal brand is tied to telling the story of the organization? That's a great question. I, you know, as I think about that, the most important thing is integrity. You know, in terms of the brand, if you're a non, and look at some nonprofits that have gotten into trouble, you know, um, and it's over, you know, you lose the trust, the public trust, and, and your brand is finished. And so integrity is really important. The other thing that I like to bring is collaboration. You know, as big as we are, 39 million sounds great. This is a national public health problem that the resources are still, whether they're government funding or, or private funding, woefully low compared to the extent of the problem, right? There's over a million suicide attempts a year. Mm -hmm. You know, so the other thing is, is to make sure that um, we show the value of our work. And I believe in that. Um, and, and also that we, um, we focus 
on the on the integrity of the organization and, and getting the job done and not lose the trust. To me, that's probably the most important thing for a nonprofit. And and I hope I bring that, um, but also collaboration because we're small. We need partners, yeah. whether that's in the private private sector or in the public sector. And we try to establish a lot of partnerships between companies, between government agencies, um, and and other you know institutions mm. that. I think really can take our work and expand it. And so partnerships, integrity, um, creating value, communicating that value are things that I, I really feel strong about in my own personal brand and, and try to instill that in the organization well, so it's that clear, we don't become it, bureaucratic. You know? yeah, it, it's clear from yeah. our conversation that you're walking in a line between passion and executive uh, prowess. So they're very fortunate to have you. So Michael Dowling, who I love to death, of Northwell Health says that culture eats strategy for lunch. <laughs> Meaning that the organization health and success, especially in the nonprofit world, would depend on the culture that exists, right? So how would you describe the culture within your organization and why is it so important? Well, I couldn't agree um, more with Michael Dowling. I, I, you know, we need strategies. We have strategic plans. We have to, you know, carry those out. Uh, that's important. But, you know, implementation is where a lot of plans go badly, <laughs> and that's culture, you know. And, and you know, I think sometimes we're too driven. I know that. Uh, I, I kind of push that. I drive myself. I drive my team. They drive their team. But, you know, what? at the end of the day, I feel we owe that. And the culture is, again, about the public we serve, you know. So things like passion. Things like community. I mean, we do have value value statements, and they they point to three things: community, because we are a community of, of folks who've been touched by this. We we bring our passion uh, to the work, and impact. Impact is key, you know. And so those are our values, and I do think that kind of permeates our culture. Uh, it's not for everybody because it's a very demanding work. Uh, our team members work hard, whether they're raising money or delivering programs or doing advocacy. Um, you know, the, this is demanding work, but we owe it. We owe it to the people who have lost loved ones who have come to us and say, I want to help. I don't want other families to experience this. Larry Sprung is a good example of that, his family. But we have we have tens of thousands of families like that. And that's kind of, I think, the culture. Culture is about getting the job done, taking care of our own mental health too, and, and that's important. Yeah. But it's getting it's getting that impact and and keeping the passion strong. I was going to say that your culture is almost more important because of the cause that you're operating in, because it's such emotionally draining to the people you're serving. It, it can't help but cross the gap between your service and their grief. So your culture, the culture you build in the organization is really important to me. Uh, I would be much more concerned about my individual employees' health so that they could yeah. do their job and they're not being affected by their job. And yes. that's what you guys represent. So, all right, so you're the head of the needle. So every day is a challenge. Right. Every day you work, you you come in. You, how are you? How do you prepare to meet challenges on a day to day basis without getting burnt out? Yeah, that's a great question. And again, we do have to watch our own mental health and our own, you know, uh, so that we don't burn out. Um, two things about that, you know, COVID probably is the best example of a challenge nobody saw coming. 
And so what did we do? Well, we did like everybody else. We shut down our office. We all set up and worked from home. We got the technology working. In short order, we were delivering our programs virtually. You got to know when how to, to adjust. You know, you can't do walks in person because you can't, you know, be in big groups in the, you know, and you can't get a permit and whatnot. How do you continue to engage people? How do you continue to have them help you raise money? So pivoting becomes really important and being flexible and nimble enough to deal with the things you haven't, you haven't thought about. And COVID is only one example. There could be other things that happen. Uh, I think back to when Robin Williams died, what a shift that had. We didn't see that, you know, coming that all of a sudden, or Kate Spade and Anthony Bourdain, even more recent example, how all of a sudden the media interest in our subject just spiked. And there were media opportunities. It was a moment to get out good information, dispel myths, and so, you know, you, we didn't plan for that. We didn't have enough comms, you know, uh, resources, but you pivot and you get it done. And I do think that that's how you deal with the unforeseen. You've got to recognize it, say, what does this mean? How do we adjust? And then move forward and get it done. And I, I think that's a key thing. Flexibility and nimble. A lot of big charities, and I work for some of them. You know, United Way, I mean, not to bash United Way, but they weren't able to adjust when the world was changing around them. And, and that hurt them. And this, you know, they still struggle today in ways they didn't when I was there in the 90s. It was, you know, they were premier. But I think a lot of organizations struggle because they're not nimble enough. They can't. It's kind of difficult to get thrown almost like into the into the melt, the, the pot, if you will. Yeah. Unfortunately, your your side of the street was was pushed forward through tragedy. Important mm -hmm. people in our world died. Robin Williams was like, are you kidding? He's the world's funny man. You, 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 there's something wrong with this. And you go all yeah. the way back to, you know, to, to other uh, important icons in the entertainment business who, who yeah. down that road. And, and that seems to push forward because then all of a sudden their followers seek you out and say, hey, wait a minute, we got to do something. It's almost like John Miller with the Guide Dog Foundation with mm -hmm. Sully, the, the, pre the, the president's yeah. service mm -hmm. dog. And, and the connection between the two at his death, it was just like all of a sudden Guide Dog Foundation was inundated and yeah. they were not prepared to get thrown at curveball, but they had to adjust just like you guys did. And yeah. it's, it's just sad that tragedy sometimes moves the ball. It, it's really kind of sad. To, in yeah, it, and certainly you don't want those tragedies. Um, but what you do with the unforeseen like that really matters, you know, and it does it change you forever? Sometimes it did for us in terms of our investment then going forward in trying to do more in public messaging and media, how to help the media report accurately, things like that, that we got focused on because of those tragedies and those challenges. So I do think, I do think being open and flexible uh, really matters when, when the unforeseen happens, you know, and, and there's been real advances during COVID back to COVID for a sec, because all of a sudden lawmakers and policymakers were saying, Oh yeah, there's a problem with our mental health. We have to invest in that and things that we wanted to have happen that didn't happen for years, you know, telemental health and, other things all of a sudden were possible and are now happening. Well, look, isn't the FCC developing the 988 number? 988 I, can't is wait, I can't wait for that to come on board. I wonder what's taking them so damn long, quite frankly. It'll take it till July of 2022. But, but that passed unanimously, bipartisan support passed unanimously. 
nothing else passed unanimously. In <laughs> I can't remember. I can't remember. So yeah, but it does show you that's a great that to happen. That's going to be a very, very important, important tool. And we were a big advocate for that. We oh, used sure. our thirty-five thousand volunteer advocates to push for that legislation. I wrote articles. I wrote to the FCC. I have an article that came out in Long Island Business News. Exactly. You know, it's coming. It's coming. Wait on it. Don't please don't wait. In the meantime, do this. But it's coming. So, you know, oh, that's what? great. These are all important issues. They're very, very important to you, to your organization. So what does rest and relaxation look like to you? Uh, it comes hard for me. I'm a workaholic. Ah. I drive myself, uh, be, you know, a type. Uh, be honest here, you know, but, but I, do, I do like to exercise. Walking, you know, power walking, walking distances, you know, does really help me relax. And spending time with my family, you know, I realized too, you know, um, it's not all work, you know, and so being with my family when, you know, we, have, we can all be together and enjoy something that really re rejuvenates me and we all need that, right? So I'm as so I tell my employees, take time off, you know, use your time, you know, um, and, and you have, you need a break. And I think I have to teach myself that all the time, but I, but I keep it in mind and it is family and exercise that. Yeah, I'm so glad that we can finally be back with our families again. It's just amazing. Mm -hmm. Cause I, I mean, it was people I didn't see for a year. My, yeah. One of my grandchildren, I didn't see for a whole year. That's like a lost year, but we're back. So I'm not, I don't want to throw yes. a blanket on the conversation. We're back. We're, we're back. And, so, yeah. Robert, before I let you go, the audience is made up of CEOs and those people on their journey to the corner office. And I always ask in closing the, the guests, what's the best advice you've ever received, either personal or business or both? Well, that's a great question. Um, you know, I guess, I guess learning from people who... Um, sometimes didn't do it so well and sometimes did it really well. You know, you learn both from both good and bad examples, right? What not to do and what to do. But I think as a CEO, stay focused. You know what you want to get to, know what you want to accomplish, know what kind of impact you want to make, um, and then stay focused on it. You know, it's so easy to get pulled in different ways and things that aren't important. And, but if you stay focused, and you keep, you know, sometimes strategize, re-strategize and re-strategize again how to get there. You know, it isn't always a linear line, right? It's a jagged line. But I do think that that for me is really worth saying, where do I want to see AFSP be in five years, in 10 years? What's the vision for it? What does it need to do? And there's some great information out there and things that I used, World Health Organization reports about what effective prevention looks mm -hmm. like. We weren't there. How do you get to those things that you know are the right things to do and how to get there is really key. So stay focused. Well, you said you almost said that in the beginning when we first started talking about when you took the helm, what what you what you identified what you wanted to do. So there's the focus. You know, I, I, just with my team, we're always fidgeting with what's our plan look like. What's changed? Do we need to change the plan or can we stick mm -hmm. with what we've got? Because if you're not forward looking, you might as well just look in the rearview mirror and say, guess what? It was a nice ride and it's over. Yeah. Look at, look at some great brands that have gone away, yeah. you know, and, and, uh, and that's true in the nonprofit as well as for-profit world. 
help yeah. them. Yeah. But, you know, and be true to your mission, you know, if, if just that's really key, you know, don't get sidetracked with things that aren't going to take you, you know, or advance the mission. It's not it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Uh, that's the other piece, you know, you know, especially with some of those really ambitious goals in the beginning. It's, you know, OK, we're going to broaden our base. We're going to get there. We're going to do all these things. But it may take a while. We can't do it in a year or even two years. Sometimes it took our advocacy work took 10 years to get to the point now where we're the leading advocacy group, uh, both in, on Capitol Hill and in state capitals. We do state capital days in every state meeting with lawmakers. We did them virtually this year, all 50 states. So, but that took 10 years from the day we said, we want to engage in advocacy. We want to build out an advocacy arm for our organization. 10 That's years. Cool. That is focus. That is focus. So, Robert, thank you for being on the show today. I really appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime. But right now, the floor is yours. So let the audience know how they can get a hold of you and any sure. information they want about the organization or how they can donate. The floor is yours. Yeah. Well, the best thing is to go to our website. It's got great information, whatever you're looking for, you know, how to help somebody, how to find help to, you know, how to become involved, how to become an advocate or make a contribution or attend a walk or whatever it may be you're interested in doing. And it's at AFSP.org, AFSP.org. So much information there. We really put a lot of effort into that website. I can be reached through that website too at rgebia at AFSP.org. That's my email. Um, being accessible as a CEO is an important thing. And so I like to make sure that I'm, I'm accessible to people. So rgebby at AFSP.org and AFSP.org website. Lots of good information about suicide and how to prevent it. Robert, what is the current helpline uh, for people? Who yeah, are so there's the current line is the National um, Lifeline. And that's a government-funded service. It's not ours, but we, we really play a big part in promoting it. Uh, and that can be uh, reached at 800 273-8255, And there's also a crisis text line. A lot of people prefer text, especially young people. And if you, uh, it's text to talk, T-A-L-K to 71, I'm sorry, 741-741. 741-741 is the text line. And so those are great sources for people who want to have, you know, they're worried about somebody, they're struggling themselves. Uh, we encourage people to reach out. That information is also on our website, all over our website. So if you go to the website, you can find out how to reach out for help. All right. So audience, please pay attention to those numbers. Uh, you may find yourself in a situation where you can help just one. So, well, that's a wrap. Uh, we don't want you to miss any opportunity for an upcoming Ask a CEO interview. We've got great guests lined up from every industry all over the world. The video interviews are available on YouTube at Greg's Corner Office or as a podcast on Apple, Spotify, or all the streaming services. And if you enjoyed the show, I ask you to please subscribe and share far and wide. And thank you so much. We'll see you next time. That's a wrap on another Ask a CEO interview. We hope you enjoyed the talk. We'd love to hear from you. Visit gregscorneroffice.com, click the Ask a CEO tab, search your favorite listening app or view on YouTube. Click the subscribe button and don't forget to like and follow us on Facebook. Until next time, goodbye from Ask a CEO.